Well, hello there, and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. I am very glad that you're here. The podcast has been growing. We're reaching people all over the United States and beyond, and it's a very exciting place to be. Its success has succeeded and exceeded my expectations. And today is just further proof of how our reach and that I get to interview somebody from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Who would have thought that down here in Charleston that I would connect with somebody up in Minneapolis? And we're told, Jared, that people in Minneapolis are super nice. So we're going (laughs) to test that hypothesis today. So our today's guest is Jared Hummel, and he's the president of a company called Parka. And he has one part of it that does digital marketing and another part of it that does recruiting. He has worked, but his this is the most exciting thing, that he's worked in a bunch of different, not only different companies funded by private equity, but different industries. And he is an expert in building high-performance teams to scale. So that's what everybody and his mother wants to know. We're talking about 100 to 200% growth. So that's what you're in to here today. We're going to talk about building high-performance teams, what it's like to be a high-performance professional. What is that involved? Do you have to work a thousand hours a week? That's what a lot of people think. And we're going to hear from Jared, the story on this. So welcome to the podcast. Tell us about your background. How did you get to being the president of Africa? <laughs> Yeah. Well, first off, thank you, Laura, and all the listeners for having me on today. I really appreciate it. How did I get here? A lot of ignorance and stubbornness is probably the best way. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you stole my formula, Jared. (laughs) Because that's what I used to, and I'm older than you, so you have to have copied me. Yeah. I guess a lot what shaped me is just growing up playing sports. So you can probably guess from Minnesota, ice hockey was my sport of choice, but that's really honestly what set the foundation of, of learning about high-performing teams. I was lucky enough to play with a lot of players that now play in the NHL and all of that stuff. And it's just crazy. You see teams that were loaded with stars that maybe went 500 on their season and then you had an average team that was expected to do nothing but bonded together in a way that they ended up winning championships, whether it was the coach or the leadership or however it was. But that really fueled my passion for growing high-performance teams professionally. And so like you mentioned, in my career, I started in manufacturing, then moved into home services, then got into the staffing and recruiting world. And then that led me to Parka which is now rapidly growing private equity back startup that has been growing 200% a year since, well, we're starting on year four now. So (laughs) yeah, it's been a, a wild ride. And I think even my team today sometimes thinks they know me because they've known me for the time period I've been here, but the lessons learned and the mistakes and all of that is what allowed me to be president of Parka today. And so, yeah, I mean, it goes back to to what we started with of just that desire for uh, growing the ignorance to slow down. And then there's a little dash of resilience of getting back up again. But yeah, just growing teams is so fun because it's people, people focused, right? 
Right. And doing something together. And of course I have, I didn't really play team sport. I was a swimmer in high school. And so the great thing about swimming is that you don't have to talk to anybody while you're (laughs) practicing and while you're competing. It's just you and the water. But I have this theory that in American business, if you played sports, especially in college and especially professionally, that you can basically put a bag over your head and recite a poem backwards and people will be like, you're amazing. (laughs) Of course, I am exaggerating. You do actually learn about working together for a goal to achieve a common purpose. And there is really nothing quite as rewarding as that. So let's talk high level. First of all, like what are the specific, when you're looking, let's say, let's even pretend that you're going to start a new, yet another company in next month and put together a team from scratch. Walk us through, like, what would be your thought process? Like anybody that I know that's, Some of the people listening are starting new jobs and some are starting new roles within their companies. Like walk us through zero to a hundred putting together that high performance team. Yeah. Well, I think as a business person first is the capital, right? Because if you don't have adequate capital, it makes it very hard to build a high performing team. And so it's not for everyone and it's not for every industry. I get that, but I feel like, especially kind of that millennial generation, which I'm a part of, has went away from that old school mentality that they have to like own a hundred percent and bootstrap it for five years and try to make it work. Like there's a lot of, if you're a true good entrepreneur, there's a lot of money out there that will back you for a percentage of the company and the ability that you then have to scale it. And then the whole pie makes more money (laughs) is one thing early in my career, we we did start from scratch and the first couple of years is pretty painful even even if you have some money behind you but not adequate amount of money behind you mm-hmm. so like my wife actually just started her company and one of the rules that we had was we wanted to buy one that was existing that we could optimize based on what we know versus starting from scratch and so that's one thing when it comes to the team aspect of it when you have capital, like the best thing that you can do is go find people that have done it before, right? Like, I think it's easy as a leader to be. And one of the things we talked about, Laura, before this is I've never been a subject matter expert in anything. And a lot of entrepreneurs, they're the most successful salesperson at this mm-hmm. manufacturer's rep company, or they're the most successful engineer at this engineering firm. And they go off and start their own thinking that knowledge of the product or the skill set is the thing that drives business and forget that you have to also sell that you have to finance it you have right, quality control and all of those things and i think sometimes even really successful professionals that have been in one vertical a long time or mm-hmm. subject matter expert forget all the pieces that go into it and so really looking at your weaknesses is one of the first things that i recommend like there are things that i definitely know that I am not strong at. And so my first hires are always people that complement those because I don't know anyone that's a complete human being (laughs) with no flaws, right? And so, I mean, even with Parka a few months ago, it took us a while to get here, but we just hired an executive vice president that is probably in the top 10 
in terms of leadership and digital marketing in the Twin Cities. And a common person would say like, oh, oh my God, Jared, like you have three years. Are they going to replace you with, <laughs> with her? Mm-hmm. And my thing is like, no, like I want, I want to grow Parka so much that I get to move on to my next venture. And I hope five years from now that she's running it or someone else is right. running it. And so that zero sum mentality when you're building a team is to me is just not very fruitful. Like you have to have that whole pie mentality of Julie brings so much industry knowledge, so much leadership. She is much more disciplined than I am. I am much more visionary. Like we sat down on our first week and said like, what is Jared going to be in charge of? What's Julie going to be in charge of? And we started with my list and I was like, oh, well, I got to give you some of the fun stuff. And she's like, the fun stuff. She's like, I hate all that stuff. This is all the fun stuff. I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, good. Right <laughs> yes. That was very cool. So let me just ask you though, what if you inherit, this is just off topic, but yeah. I know a lot of people work for companies that are established. <laughs> like what if you inherit a team? Like what would you do in that case that you don't get to pick everybody? What do you yeah. I mean, I'll give you the negative and then the positive. Okay. I have been in established company turnaround situations before, Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. it's not always a lot of fun because usually my first job in the first three to four weeks is to establish who's on the bus and who's not on the bus. And so I think as a leader that inherits a team, oh man, I heard a great quote yesterday. It was like, I'm way more open to having people on my team that are volunteers, not hostages. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a good, like, I mean, it's pretty easy to tell when you inherit a team who's on the bus, who's not on the bus, right? Like who's volunteering to help you be successful and who are the people that are putting their feet in the sand saying like, I'm not going to report to this person or I don't respect them or whatever their stance might be that they're just not cut out for the next evolution. Obviously, in my experience, growing really fast, mm-hmm. you inherently outgrow people, right? And it's really crappy because I'm a culture guy and a lot of my team becomes very close friends of mine. And yeah. I've had to let go of people that outside of work, I would say are in my top five or 10 best friends, but they just couldn't elevate to that next level. And so I think that's the negative side is you got to be a realist, right? Like your job is to grow your department, grow your company whatever it is. And you can't really be held hostage by any individual employee because one bad apple ruins the whole tree. On the positive side, I think in the world we live in today, I mean, the thing that I always try to lead with is empathy. Like that's, (laughs) it sounds a little cliche, but get to know your people. I mean, when Julie started, we didn't even have her meet our clients, like meet vendors, meet any, like literally her first week and a half was bringing every single team member from top to bottom out to lunch, out to breakfast, out to dinner and spending an hour, two hours, not like 15 minutes in a quick one-on-one, but like genuinely caring. Who are you? Mm -hmm. What are you about? What are you passionate about? What's your growth trajectory? What's your plan? And I've found that to be really fruitful. One of the things, frankly, that she's done a lot better than me in the short time that she's been here is just providing that growth path for people, like understanding where they are today and where they desire to go. And obviously it doesn't always fit a hundred percent into our, (laughs) where we're going, but 
giving them that path to know where can they go in their career with Parka? Where can they go in their career after Parka? And how do we start marching towards that? And I think to me, I even put all of that into empathy a little bit because it's really meeting the employee where they're at, right? It's not a dictatorial number driven environment. Like we have numbers, obviously, that people have to hit right. in, in any industry I've been in. But usually if you connected with a person and built a rapport and have empathy and build a culture that's supportive, like if people aren't hitting their numbers, honestly, like a lot of times they self-select out because <laughs> it becomes very obvious that they might be a great culture fit, but maybe they're just not cut up for startup life or turnaround life or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever your business is going through. So, so are you saying, you're, it sounds like you're saying this, let me, but I don't want to put words in your mouth that, you, <laughs> that when you're hiring, you don't hire for culture fit first. Oh, no, no, no. I only hire for culture fit first. <laughs> I'm the opposite. Yeah. I get where you're going with that. I think in the case of Julie, like we had four or five other applicants that mm-hmm. were almost as qualified as her. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I broke it down, the ultimate deciding factor on her was not only her skill set, but really the culture fit and the way that her and I would work together as the leadership team of Parka. And so, yeah, sorry if it came off that way, because literally every hire in Parka has their first interview with me. If I don't feel like they're a culture fit, I don't even want to know what their skill set is because okay. it becomes irrelevant. And so that's been a process. Most of my career is people sometimes think it's weird. Like, why is the president the first interview? Shouldn't yeah, they be the that one? is weird. Shouldn't they be the one at the end that like signs off on it? And to me, it is as we're building a team. And obviously, I as we scale, I have to let my hand off the vine a little bit and let other people make some of the actual hiring decisions. But to me, the only thing that is very hard to fix is like when a culture starts to deteriorate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you can but what have does it. that look like? Like what is a sign that the culture is deteriorating? Yeah. I mean, I would say one of the common things that I would say that I've seen in my career is just like a faction, like where you have two, two groups that split into it and it can be anything, right? It could be high performers, low performers, people with more experience and less experience people with some skill set or some hobby outside of work and another people have a different hobby. (laughs) But when that starts factioning and you're not moving together as a company towards a common goal, that's usually one of the signs. Just overall like enthusiasm, I guess, for the work we're doing. And I think ultimately that's the responsibility of the owners or the president is to create that true north that people are Mm -hmm. marching to. But Mm -hmm. sometimes when things get chaotic, I feel like leaders forget to realign the mission. And so we meet every month as an entire company. And I always go through like our five-year vision, our core values, our target market, our three-year vision, our one-year vision, because keeping people energized, what the goal is, like when people start to feel they're just doing work, I think it becomes pretty evident to a present leader when people are just stuck in the grind and, and kind of lose the passion. And so you're reviewing all of that every single month? Yep. Yep. So I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's called the EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. Oh, but yeah, I have heard of it. Yes. It's literally a two-page piece of paper that starts with your core values, your five-year, your three-year, your one-year, 
what are your goals for the quarter and what are the issues that are present today that are affecting you from achieving your long-term goals. And so a couple of weeks before the end of every quarter, the leadership team checks off all the rocks that we accomplished in the last Mm -hmm. quarter, updates it with new issues. And then in our all employee meeting, I brush over the five year to one year, like here's our vision, spend five, 10 minutes on it, and then really engage the rest of the employees on here's our mission for the next quarter, right? Like this is, Mm -hmm. this is our goal. This is what we have to accomplish and getting everyone on board. Okay. That's a, that EOS is a very nice, solid process. And like, yes, having it, keeping it to two pages, keeping it simple, keeping everybody focused. And it points to the importance with the communication. As I just gave a, a webinar on this earlier today that's seldom a one and done. If you're the leader, it's not that you yeah. just, this is our mission, don't forget it. And then never <laughs> mention it again. It's like, it's bringing in that mission, those values, daily, weekly, periodically bring connecting. I think connecting the dots between this task that I have to deliver and how that is impacting the whole company, I think is the so motivating. And I, to me, it's the, are you building a brick wall or a cathedral? Like if you're the leader, this looks yeah. like a, looks a lot like a brick wall that I'm building. So help me not forget that it's really a cathedral. I think that's kind of yeah, the, that's... the direction that you're taking with this. Yeah, I think it's incredibly imperative. Like, I mean, I think any human being innately wants to be a part of something like, Mm -hmm. you know, better than I do, but people are, what do they call it? Like tribal or like they want to be belong to communities. And so the reality is we spend more time at work than we do with our families most of the time. If you can come and be part of that, the buzzword is obviously the, the great resignation, but in the last nine months, Parka hasn't lost one employee and most digital agencies have lost upwards of 40 to 60% of their employees. Oh, wow. That's quite the, remarkable. Due to the change. And I, it's not me taking credit for that. Like, obviously I am the leader of it, but it's the, com- <laughs> it's the community that we've created, right? Like one person can't do it. Like it starts with my transparency and my culture that I want to build and all that, but it mm-hmm. has to be resonated through our directors, down to our managers, down to our employees. Otherwise, like I can only do so much by myself. But to your point, and I know it's a super controversial figure, but we had a someone get elected president that said the same five things over and over again for mm-hmm. like a six-year period. But it builds that repetition and communication builds buy-in. And I know my team gets annoyed at me sometimes because <laughs> I'll say the same, like, the woman that sits across from me claims after like a month, she could give my whole sales spiel. And the thing (laughs) is, is like, I don't even really sell that much. It's like, I talk to vendors, I talk to industry partners, I talk to associations. Sometimes I talk to salespeople, sometimes I'm interviewing, but like my spiel is always the same because the more our entire team hears what I'm passionate about and like where I want to go with things. And it evolves, right? Like, Every three months, I'm sure I add like a new part into it that I don't even really know I added, but it's like... You've adjusted it. Yeah, I've adjusted it based on what I've learned. But at the end of the day, it's still an exaggerated elevator pitch, essentially. Right, (laughs) right. I I keep saying it. Yeah, that reminds me of something my mom used to say. She had this idea that everybody has like this one core message that 
that yeah. evolves over their lifetime, but just as like yours could be around the culture of high-performing teams and minds around communication that builds cultures, but we're just, no matter where we go, we somehow are tying everything we see into that message that somehow interests us. So let's pretend that I work for you and I'm not meeting my numbers. So how are you going to handle that? Yeah. So on the vein of communication, all of our employees have a weekly one-on-one meeting with Mm -hmm. their superior. And I think that's, and it's always run by them. Obviously there's sometimes when there's something mission critical that the supervisor kind of leads it, but that's how in layman's terms, I guess, like that's how I like to deal with it is Mm -hmm. honest transparency. Like I've never been a corporate guy, so Mm -hmm. I know this isn't going to work in corporate, but like, I'm just not a big fan of like the pips and like documenting everything. I know you need to do that in certain. Right. Well, that's for legal. Yeah. That's for legal purposes and all that. But to me, being authentic and being myself is literally sitting in that one-on-one and just saying like, this isn't working. This number, this error that you made on this client's work, not hitting your quarterly goal. This isn't going to work for us in our environment as a company. Like what, what am I doing as a leader that's not allowing you to prosper? Is something happening in your personal life? Is something, tell me what it is. And if we can't fix it, I'm the first one to open up my doors to other agency owners that might be a better fit or help you go corporate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like I said, one of my best friends a few months ago came to me and said, Hey, I I can, I can make 30,000 more dollars in the market right now. And I'm like, yep, you're (laughs) right. You can. And this literally what I said is people think loyalty and friendship is keeping them in the company. I think loyalty and friendship is allowing you to go to a place where you can make more money to provide for your family, be in a better environment where you're successful. And so just so happened that he chose to stay at the time. And and a couple of months later, he had the opportunity to go to go into something better. And I shook his hand like the the old executive vice president of of Parka before Julie had a chance to be on like an internal SWAT team at Salesforce. Oh, wow. And she called me and I was like, like, where do I sign your resignation? Like, (laughs) can I I help you? And so I guess, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Yeah, yeah, you are. But like, I mean, I'm not super procedural in nature, I guess. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm, like, if you're mm -hmm. transparent, if you're empathetic, if you have honest conversations, like for me, it's not really a, a surprise. Like an employee should never be surprised that they get let go because right. unless I was lying to them in right. every one-on-one for three years straight. Yeah, like, yes, exactly. I say the same thing for performance <laughs> yeah. reviews. There should be no surprises. <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, if you're really on the ball, you're going to be asking for feedback or asking for help or what can I do differently to have better results? Yeah. That's going to make a huge difference. So you said that you were able, that you have not lost people with all the people resigning. Is your workforce fully remote or hybrid or what is your... Yeah. So we, for people that are in Minnesota, we do like a hybrid and like a lot of, like there's no hard set rule because of the mm-hmm. world we live in. Like we have a few people that work remote hundred percent of the time. The vast majority work hybrid three days a week in the office, two days a week at home. 
But we also have employees in Utah and Ohio. And so we have a whole other issue. Like you're not having issues that people feeling less than not uh, having the same access to you or Julie because of being remote. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I guess we kind of went with the, the trend, right. Um, Mm -hmm. Traditionally up until this year, almost all of our employees were from Minnesota, but in the world we live in, like our clients are all over the nation. So every meeting we have is a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting anyways. And so from that perspective, it's kind of a no-brainer. The literal question you ask is something that I feel like I have to be willing to learn and adapt as a leader. And frankly, I don't know how it's going to (laughs) go. Like a couple of our remote, not in the Twin Cities employees are only a couple months in. And that's something that starting in April of 2020, as we met with the owners and some of the other division leaders, we're like, what do we do? Like this company was based on culture. And Mm -hmm. now at that time, obviously no one was here, but as we move forward, like how do we create the same environment? Because culture is number one at Versique and Parka. And I know personally, I drive a lot of energy and our, our overarching CEO, Tony, like lives off the energy of culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to know how do you put, how did you like, so what was your strategy? Tell us, lay it on as like, if you want a healthy culture, how do we do it? Yeah. I feel like I talked a little about it today, but I mean, it's like the quote, like the snake rots from the head, right? Like it starts at top. Uh, we say a fish. <laughs> oh, you say a fish. Well, we don't even have that many snakes in Minnesota, so I don't know why. I, uh, I never heard ra- about the snake. Yeah, maybe right. all maybe all animals. And yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it starts with the leaders. I think early on, you said, "Do you have to work ten thousand hours a year to yeah. be a CEO?" And then you also talked about swimming. So I actually about six seven years ago took up swimming as a hobby because one is the rhythm, right? Like Mm -hmm. you learn rhythm. Mm -hmm. And then the second is, is no matter how strong you are, you can't cheat your way into being a good swimmer. Like it's all about form. (laughs) Oh, I never thought about it. I didn't know. Why would anybody try to cheat? I guess looking for a shortcut or something. Well, I just like, I'm a, I have done crazy, like, thousand mile expeditions on bicycles and run marathons and ultra marathons and all that. I got into a pool and I couldn't even swim a half a lap when I first started. And that's because depending on how much drag you have, uh, not having good body posture, not having good arm, like my arms weren't mobile because I had separated shoulders. So I wasn't getting good. Like, but you learn that you can't really cheat. Like it's about form. It's about efficiency and all of that. And so a long-winded way of saying, (laughs) bringing back around your question is, I think leaders too oftentimes make it very complicated Mm -hmm. to build a good culture. To me, when you talk about like the the fish rots from the head is like, what is the leader doing? I try to go out to lunch with all of our team members once a quarter. I am transparent in our monthly meetings. They see the financial metrics. They know if we're making money or losing money. We celebrate wins. Like from a culture perspective, we went on a boat cruise on Lake Minnetonka a couple months ago. We did a bocce ball tournament at course nearby. We did a golf 
scramble with all of our companies where anyone could, could go golfing. Like people read through, in my opinion, people read through kind of the cheesiness of like Mm -hmm. having beer on tap, having a ping pong table. Do you actually invest in your employees? We just sent two of our account managers to Chicago for an account management boot camp where they came back with so much energy that they (laughs) barely slow them down. But I mean, that's a few examples, but none of those things are rocket science. Like it's literally just treating humans like humans want to be treated and meeting them where they are. Like if someone looks like they're about to cry one day, I'll pull them into a room and be like, is it personal? Is it professional? Is it just a day? Like, did your mom have a heart attack? Like what happened? And if their dog died, I tell them to go home. It's not a, we don't live in an eight to five (laughs) culture Mm -hmm. anymore. Like you have to have that balance and be open-minded. And so I don't know, maybe I overcomplicate it, but to me, it's just like treating others how they want to be treated and and building the team. Like I going all the way back to the beginning is like, if there was 25 Jared's on our team, Mm -hmm. our team would be running around with their head cut off on fire. With screaming and yeah, flailing like, their arms. <laughs> like having everyone be visionary and coming up with all these ideas and always distracting people from getting work done. And right. That but there's a skill set I have that not a lot of people have, but there's a lot of people on our teams that have skill sets that right. I don't have either. Right. right. But there's one skill I want to ask you about. So when you're swimming, can you do flip turns? <laughs> Disoriented flip turns, yes. <laughs> I would not say. <laughs> I get so mad because I'm in a master swim group now, like because uh-huh. I've got good enough that I can do that. But you get it, your coach gives you whatever, like 800 yards. Mm-hmm. And in my head, because I'm competitive and a numbers guy, a little bit underneath it all is like, I'll not do the flip and I'll be like, well, that, that person got ahead of me because they flipped and that's, that's 0.3 seconds. And if you times that by 24 laps in the pool, like I'm actually just as fast as them in open water, but they beat me in the pool because they can do flip turns. That's hysterical. Well, I can do flip turns pretty well. So I'm really going to enjoy it the next time I'm and think about you and gloat a little bit to myself that yeah. how I can do the flip turns. Well, this is so interesting. I mean, you make it sound like it's so just like be yourself, be a good person and your culture is going to be fine. Do you really think that's that's what it is? I mean, we actually just had a couple employees come from the same company where they had a, a toxic culture and and just listening to them talk about why it was a toxic culture was because the owner's elevated themselves. Like they started as a startup, they grew to something that was pretty big and the owners mm-hmm. essentially got big heads about it and mm-hmm. became arrogant pricks and treated employees that started with them. Like they were a number and disposable and, and all of that. And like the one woman walked out or told the owner that she was leaving and he threw his keys, his car keys across the room and hit a wall and then grabbed his business card and handed it to her and said, when you fail outside of here, here's my number. You can come back. And I'm like, whoa, oh, okay. Well, now I know why you have 
60% turnover every single year. Like that's pretty self-explanatory why people are leaving in droves and why when that woman started, she reached right. out two or three other people that applied for jobs here the next day. And I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's people much more educated on like leadership and some of that stuff than I am. But to me, when you're just a business owner or a manager in a corporation that's growing, like start somewhere starting as being like the world's greatest expert is not an easy thing to do. Starting by being a good human being that cares about people is a pretty easy, pretty easy step to being a manager, even if that, and again, being a good person doesn't mean keeping everyone on your team for the rest of eternity. Sometimes being a good person is literally sitting down and just telling someone like, I don't see you being a good fit on this team a year from now. Maybe it's time for you to move on. Or, I mean, I have plenty of hard conversations where I'm like, you need to kick it in the butt a little bit. Like the team's depending on you, but Mm -hmm. that's different than chucking a stapler at a wall and being like, if you don't get your crap together, I'm firing tomorrow. Yeah. So I I, I think it's really just simple. Simple communication will get you on the right foot as you're growing your business and and whatnot. Are there things that people do that are much better than me in this realm? Yeah, 100%. But it's been effective for me keeping it simple, honestly. Oh, (laughs) absolutely. I totally agree. And my position is that, I mean, even if you're like a peon manager, an Acme mega trillion corporation, like the culture of how people feel working with you is your microculture within the, the larger culture. And you can be supervisor and it's your culture for that scope of your work. And you can take that with you and you can make it better as you move along or not. So yeah. it shouldn't be like this very rare skill set oh, that right. to be a culture builder. So this has been so interesting. And I love how common sense you are. It's just the only thing that, is counterintuitive, I would say, is that people would interview the president first. But before I let yeah. you go, though, since you have this inside view, because people are asking me, I help a lot of people in management or leadership to prepare for job interviews. Like, how do you see the, the workforce changing? There's so many people missing from the workforce. <laughs> a lot of people are quitting, looking for better options. Like, just... What's in your crystal ball? Yeah, I think the 2020s are going to be, I don't know what you want to call it, a revolution that hasn't been seen for a long time. And there's a lot of factors that were already in play before COVID started Uh, that are magnified by COVID. And so the thing that drives me the most nuts is when a recruiting firm or a client in the Twin Cities says like, Hiring's nuts right now. Like, when's it going to slow down? And it's like, even if our economy slows down, the whole demographics of how our labor force is built up are drastically changing. And so, like, this is going to be this is going to be an issue probably at least for the next ten years because when you look at the baby boomers, a lot of especially big companies, but entrepreneurs too, were worried about the baby boomers leaving the workforce. Well. They expected a million baby boomers to leave the workforce per year over the next, whatever, seven years. This year alone has been 3.5 million have left the workforce. I did not know that. (laughs) Wow, that's huge. Yeah, yeah. And 
the other stat that I heard the other day, and I'll probably get it wrong a little bit, but take it for what it's worth, is like pre-World War II, the average family size was nine. During the baby boomer generation, it was six. Today, it's 3.9. So for the first time in American history, we're not even replacing the humans. The average family is having 1.9 kids, so they're not even replacing themselves. So our economy is growing. The number of jobs are growing. The world's growing, but our population is shrinking and baby boomers are leaving the workforce in record numbers. And so I think what you're going to see, and everyone kind of like freaks out about this, is like automation, technology, all of that is going to enter, whether you work at McDonald's or a Fortune 100 company, Mm -hmm. like processes that are mundane tasks are going to be automated and technology is going to take them over, which then in return is going to force people and people are already doing it to retool and go back to school and add value to their resume and serve in jobs that technology and automation can't. Right. Technology and automation does inefficient, repeatable tasks. People are going to be used for value add initiatives. So obviously we're in recruiting and staffing, but sourcing candidates, reviewing their resume, reaching out to them when job opportunities, all of that will be automated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what will happen is those recruiters won't lose their jobs, but those recruiters, instead of having 25 people out on contract, will have 50 people out on contract right. because they're doing the value added parts of, of that position and rinse and repeat for, like I said, manufacturing, McDonald's, all across the board, like where human interaction is needed humans will be asked to step up and, right. and retool. But yeah, it's going to be a change that we've never really seen before in terms of how the labor market looks. Wow. Super interesting, Jared. Thank you so much. It is great. So you are like having a cup of coffee talking to you. <laughs> I love the energy and the accent. And I forget you... about the accent all the time. <laughs> well, of course I don't have, I'm speaking standard English. <laughs> so this yeah. was fun. And all right. So Jared Hummel, H-U-M-M-E-L. If you want to look him up at Parka, his website or where the business that he's president of, P-A-R-Q-A, or you can look him up on LinkedIn if you want to connect with Jared. And thank you for listening. And I look forward to catching you on the next episode. Bye-bye.